Well, hello, it's Pastor Carson from Calvary Tabernacle. Thanks for stopping by the podcast. We hope that it's a blessing to you, whether you're catching one of the Sunday or Wednesday messages, or maybe you're jumping on to listen to one of the Saturday snapshots. We're doing everything we can right here in the beautiful Fountain Square area of Indianapolis to try to reach and connect and disciple people towards Jesus Christ. Enjoy what you listen to, and I hope that it's a benefit to your life. Ephesians 5.25, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself, for no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church, for we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. Go with me to Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, and it says this, Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him and help meet for him. And out of the ground the Lord God formed every burst beast of the field and every fowl of the air and brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. And Adam gave names to all cattle and to the fowl of the air and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found an help meet for him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam and he slept. He took one of his ribs, closed up the flesh instead thereof. The rib which the Lord had taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, notice this, and Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, or for this cause, shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife and they shall be one flesh. With the help of the Holy Ghost this morning, I simply want to preach to you for this cause. Can we clap our hands to the Lord and give him some praise in this house? God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you're going to open our ears to hear, our eyes to see, and our hearts to receive everything that you have for us today. In Jesus' name, you may be seated. Love. Love talked a lot about it during this time of the year. With tomorrow being Valentine's Day, the restaurants will be packed. Flowers will be scarce. Husbands, if you haven't got your flowers, you're out of luck. And it is believed that according to the Greeting Card Association, an estimated 145 million Valentine's cards will be sent, making Valentine's Day the second largest card-sending holiday of the year. Some of you are thinking you got in the wrong business. Love has definitely become a marketable emotion, bringing in billions of dollars each year for various businesses, restaurants, card companies that are around the world. Love is a very powerful and a very interesting thing. I wonder if there's anybody here today, you've ever been in love. Let me just see your hands. Are you still in love? A few hands went down. All right. 
Love is powerful. That, that ooey gooey, I can't live without you type of love. That kind of love that makes your heart feel as if it has been placed in a vice and squeezed every time you are apart from the one that you love. I remember the short dates, short time dating. Let me put it that way, not the short dates, the short time dating my wife. I met her and 10 months later we were married. The he that findeth a good thing, grab it. That's my version of the Bible. But I remember those months dating my wife. She lived in Houston, and I was evangelizing, and we would spend hours on the phone. You know that kind of love? We're like, yeah, hang up. No, no, you. No, no, you hang up. No, you. No, 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 you hang up. No, you. Okay, we're going to hang up on three. One, two, three. You're still there, aren't you? I am. I love you. You know what I'm talking about? That kind of love that just captivates every time, everything in your life. You, you go out to eat. In our case, it wasn't because we wanted to do it. We were just broke. You put two straws in one shake. and Your eyes are just kind of looking at each other. And you're like, oh. Phone bills that cost you an arm and a leg. <laughs> I had to hurry up and get married. <laughs> I would have been in trouble hopping around. What's, what's a, I hop. <laughs> I remember it was the 90s, okay? And they didn't have the nice little cell phones that they have now. Anybody remember the bag phones? How many had a bag phone? Yeah, a few of you did. I remember calling her from being out in the hills of Virginia, and it wouldn't work that well, but I'd call, I called her on that phone all the time till I got the first bill. It's like I'm putting this thing away. But there's something to this thing called love. It's hard to define, yet we know it's real, and we know it's something that is extremely powerful. And the Word of God does a lot of things in talking about love. It defines and describes it often, hoping and believing that you and I will eventually grasp its power and its influence. The Word of God is very unique in its ability to pinpoint areas of our lives that need major reconstruction. In fact, the Bible tells us that the Word of God According to the writer of Hebrews, the word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. One paraphrase put it this way, God means what he says, what he says goes. His powerful word is sharp as a surgeon's scalpel, cutting through everything, whether doubt or defense, laying us open to listen and obey nothing, and no one are impervious to the word of God. We can't get away from it no matter what. We can't get away from it, no matter what. The, that, that statement's so important to me this morning. No matter what you try to do, no matter hard how hard you try to live on your own, no, no matter why, how you push God away, the word will always resonate in the recesses of your spirit. That word will always be there reminding you of the precepts and the principles and the power of an almighty God. The word will always be a vocal influence uh, that will shout ever so loudly of its wisdom and its ways. I thank God for his word. I thank God for what he has given to us. We would do well to heed 
the voice of the word. It is God's instruction manual on how to live our lives and raise our children. It's God's instruction manual on how to do marriage and how to spend our money and our time. It is God's forever settled blueprint of salvation and God's redemptive plan for humanity. But what interests me more than anything concerning the word of God is the word's ability to speak of something in the natural that carries over to a powerful spiritual application. For instance, let me just lay this out for us this morning. Noah's ministry in building the ark is a spiritual type of the church, and the only way in is through the one door. There's not multiple ways into the church. Only one way in, and that way we know is through Christ Jesus. Jesus made it very clear when he said, I am the way, and I am the truth, and I am the life. Paul, in writing to the church in Ephesus, endeavors to apply a spiritual principle while discussing a natural relationship between a husband and a wife. He relates the natural and applies it to the spiritual and vice versa. He says, as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it, so ought men to love their wives, and on and on and on the parallel seems to go. When you study the act of creation, in Genesis 1 and 2, you will discover that when God created certain things, he stated this, it is good. When he had finished, he looked over all his creation and then made this declaration, it is very good. But there was one thing that God saw that was not good. The scripture says it was not good for man to be alone. So what did he do? He created man, and from the dust of the ground, he formed Adam. He created the first man named Adam. He gave Adam a job to do. He said, Adam, your responsibility is to dress and to keep the garden. The Hebrew connotation of this word dress means to serve, to work. It almost has, if you dig through it far enough, it almost has a feel of worship attached to it. Adam walked with God in the cool of the day, the scripture tells us, and he received his instructions. And part of Adam's responsibility was not only to be a servant, not only to dress and keep the garden, but also to be a worshiper. I could stop right here and remind every one of us, even on a Sunday morning, now, one of the primitive words that defines man's responsibility uh, is that you and I were created uh, to be worshipers. Uh, there's no higher call on a Sunday morning. There's no higher calling on a Monday when hell is fighting you than to get up out of that bed, throw those hands in the air, and say, I know my God is real, and I know he's alive. We are called to be worshipers. But in everything that was very good, there was not a companion that would be worthy of Adam if you could. God had given Adam the responsibility of naming the creatures, not sure how it was accomplished, allow me some creative license this morning. I don't know if it was like a buffet line, that's a dog, and oh, look at that, Woo, look at that neck, that's a, that's a giraffe, that's a, that's a pig. We're going to call this one, look at that, that's a funny looking creature, that's an aardvark. But God saw that it was not good for Adam to be alone. So the Bible says he creates a helpmeet, someone suitable for Adam. And we know the content, 
context, God causes a deep sleep to come upon Adam. And from Adam's side, not his heel, not his back, but from his side, not under his foot. I would hope and I'd get a few more women to say amen about that. But from his side, he takes a rib and fashions and forms this creature that would be suitable for this man by the name of Adam. Just, just allow me some creative license. Here is Adam naming all the creatures. That's a, that's a cow, and I'll call this one a rhinoceros, and that's a hippo, and whoa, man. That's where he got woman from. He took one look at her and said, whoa, ho, 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 baby, baby. I will. Whoa, oh, man, look at that. But watch what happens. In verse 24, it says, therefore, because of this creature, for this cause, a man shall leave his mother and his father and cleave unto his wife. Therefore, Adam said that the, he would leave mother and father. He would cleave. He would become one flesh with this woman that God had given to him. Could it be, hear me for just a moment, could it be that this was the first prophetic word given in Scripture? Because how did Adam know what a natural mother or father was? How could Adam know what a father or a mother that would have to be left in order to cleave unto his wife? How would he know that this creation of a woman that God fashioned from the side of man, I believe, brought about the first prophecy in the word of God? Adam was basically saying this right here, this whoa, man, this woman is going to cause men to leave mother and father. Adam was basically saying for this cause, Adam had no knowledge of a natural relationship with a mother or father. If he had a father, it was God. If he had a mother, he was born in the Garden of Eden, formed from the dust of the ground. The father has the concept. It's in his image to have children. But a mother is what gives a child its body. Since Adam had no relationship with a natural father or mother, this statement that he made had to be almost a prophetical statement, had it to be given to him by revelation or by God. Because the pull of a mother or a father is strong, but when a man feasts his eyes, fastens his eyes on one of these, that pull will become stronger than the pull of a mother or a father. Uh, I love you, Mom. Thanks for everything you've done. It's not that I love you less. I love you, Dad. Thank you so much for being everything that I needed to be to this point. I, I'm not leaving you because I love you any less. I, I'm leaving you because I found something to love more. Matthew 19, 5, verse 4 and 5 says, And he answered and said unto them, Have you not read? Watch this. That he 
which made them at the beginning, made them male and female and said, so the one that made them said, for this cause shall a man leave father and mother and shall cleave to his wife and they twain shall be one flesh. Wherefore they are no more twain but one flesh. What therefore God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. The one who made them said it. But we just read that Adam said it. So apparently Adam received something from God by revelation. Mark chapter 10 verse 7 says, but from the beginning of the creation, God made them male and female for this cause. Shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife and they twain shall be one flesh. So then they are no more twain, but one flesh. Could it be that the concept started in the mind of God, the concept that man shall leave mother and father, but it was first delivered by revelation to and by this first Adam the one that God created in the garden. It seems to me, just stay with me for a moment, it seems to me that this revelation had to be put into the spirit of Adam by his creator. This notion that man would leave the relationship that nurtured and cared for him to cleave unto his bride that had to be received by Adam in revelation. Adam was given clear instructions to God by God, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, he said, thou shalt not eat of it, for in the the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. Adam, you can eat of every tree in this garden, save one, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat of this tree, Adam, you will die. I've given you a lot of choices, but that one right there, that's off limits. It's then that we discover God realizing that it was not good that man be alone. So he created Eve for Adam. How long were they in the garden before that fateful day that spun humanity into the abyss of sin? I'm not sure. How often had they walked by the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? And Adam would remind Eve, Eve, we, we can eat of every tree in the garden, but don't you touch that one right there. Don't take from it. In fact, don't even look at it. Just leave it alone. We can have everything but that one. But one day, they were walking by this tree when the serpent begins to speak to Eve. I don't have time to go into the story. We know the account well, but the Bible tells us very clearly that Eve was deceived. The Bible is very open that Eve was deceived, but that Adam disobeyed. Think about this for just a moment. Romans 5.19 tells this to us, for as by one man's disobedience, not deception, but by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. So by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Eve, this is good to eat. You shall not surely die. God knows that the day you eat of this, your eyes will be open. You will be like God. So the scripture openly tells us in Genesis 3, and when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her and he did eat. Now this is where I've come to preach today. I'm laying a runway for us to go someplace. I submit to us today that Adam had full knowledge of what he was doing when he took of that fruit. And I think I know why. Adam looked 
at the fruit. And then he looked at his bride, the one that God had created for him so that he would no longer be alone. And he took of that fruit knowing full well the repercussions of his action. Dad, Father, I'm sorry, I'm leaving. Mom, I, I apologize, I'm, I'm leaving. I, it's not that I love you any less. I, I just found something that I love more. It's my bride. And he looked at the garden. He looked at the paradise that God had placed him in. But then he looked at his bride and he chose openly with knowing full well what it was going to cost him. He said, I choose to be with my bride. How could he fathom the idea of being in the garden alone, separated? from his wife, uh, separated from his bride. Uh, he chose her. He left it all for her. Uh, he abandoned paradise for her. Uh, he walked away from the beauty of Eden because of the beauty of a bride. The Apostle Paul had amazing revelation. Looking into his writings concerning the end times and grace and purpose, no other writer in the New Testament had quite the understanding and the revelation that Paul possessed. Paul writes to the church in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and does his best to explain the revelatory difference between the first and the second Adam. Allow me to read this to you so that we can grasp a better understanding of where we're going today. Listen closely. And so it is written, the first man, Adam, was made a living soul. The last Adam was made a quickening spirit. Howbeit that was not first which is spiritual, but that which is natural, and afterward that which is spiritual. The first man is of the earth, earthy. The second man is the Lord from heaven, as is the earthy. Such are they also that are earthy. And as is the heavenly, such are they also that are heavenly. And as we have borne the image of the earthy, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. What's going on here? Paul is describing the difference between the first and the second Adam. The first was of the earth, earthy, made of dust. Everyone that comes after him is born of the same essence. But the second Adam. He, he, he was a different creation, and he came to undo everything that the first Adam had messed up. He is of the heavenlies, and everyone that is born again takes on a new nature, becomes a new creature, becomes born again, not under the earthy, but under the heavenly. Now, when the New Testament opens, we are introduced to a baby born in a manger. Jesus was born a baby who was the son of God, born of a virgin by the name of Mary. He grows up to be the son of a carpenter from a village named Nazareth. His name was Jesus. He was the Messiah. He was the last Adam. For 30 years, he worked with his father in a carpentry business. But finally, he begins his ministry. He teaches parables. He heals the sick. He raises the dead. Blind eyes were open. We already heard Brother Mac talk about that. Deaf ears were unstopped. He is heralded as the Messiah, seen as a threat to the religious system of his day. He begins preaching things that even the disciples have a hard time grasping. But the galleon things like, verily, verily, I say unto you, except the corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. We've heard that before. But if it dies, it brings forth 
much fruit. What are you saying, Jesus? I'm saying I must die so others can live. I must do this alone so others can live. And we find him eventually at the end and the close of his ministry, hanging on the cross, suspended between heaven and earth, uh, suspended between two thieves. And there are seven sayings that happen on that cross. And one of them was this. John, behold thy mother. Mama, behold thy son. I got to do this, Bob. I got to leave you. I got to do this. I have to leave you. There's a purpose bigger than you understand. There's something I'm reaching for more than you realize. And a few moments later, we hear him say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? I'm leaving, Mama. And I'm leaving daddy because there's a bride that I have to take possession of. And the scripture says, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. He despised the shame. Why? Why did Jesus have a goodbye party with his mama and a few moments later have to tell his father bye? I'll tell you why. He wanted a bride. He loved a bride. He left everything for a bride. He said goodbye to mom. He said goodbye to his father because he desired a bride for the joy that was set before him. Isaiah would pen the words this way. He is despised and rejected of men. A man of sorrows acquainted with grief, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. And all we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on on him the iniquity of all of us. Uh, he was oppressed. Uh, he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before her shearers is dumb. So he opened not his mouth. I simply submit to this church today. Do you realize how much he loves you? Do you realize how important you are to him? Do you know he left it all? We know he could have called for a thousand angels, ten thousands of angels uh, to come and pull him off that cross, uh, but he despised uh, the shame. Uh, he laid there on that cross, uh, amen, because uh, he decided uh, there's something better, uh, there's something greater. Uh, I gotta have a bride. Uh, I gotta have someone that understands my love for them. He loves you. Oh, how he loves you and me. I'm not sure how to even stress this any stronger than I am. The love of God is the most powerful, most amazing, most humbling, most incredible thing you can ever experience. 
to every one of you under the sound. I'm coming to preach now to every one of you under the sound of my voice that think God doesn't love you. He loves you. He loves you enough to die for you. He loves you enough to heal you. He said while you were yet a sinner, I know we sang it as a child. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus, he loves me. I was singing, not you. Shut up. I'm just messing. Whenever Devin Cunningham is in the house, you got to give him a bad time. I love you like Jesus loves you. We would sing it, but I don't know if we fully understood it. It was a cute little Sunday school song. But throughout the pain of the journey of life that some of you have been on, maybe we've forgotten the simple message. Jesus loves me. Jesus loves me. He left all because he loves me. I may be a dirty, rotten scoundrel, but he loves me. I may have been hooked on crack, but he loves me. I may not know who my daddy was, but he loves me. He loves me. Oh, how he loves you and me. Paul would declare, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. We've heard that before. Nay, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Come on, folks. For some reason, we treat God's love like some cruel childhood drama with a rosebud in our hands. He loves me. He loves me not. He loves me. He loves me not. He loves me. He loves me not. The devil would like you to think that. He would like you to apply a common relationship between a schoolyard boy and a schoolyard girl and apply it to the love of God. But I got news for you. I don't care how far you've fallen. I don't care how broke you are. God is not a fickle God. He loves you in spite of your mess. He loves you in spite of your hurt. He loves you. Musicians come and just just play something nice and romantic. I come from the 80s. Play something from Journey. Highway run. Sorry. Some of y'all like Journey. Highway run? 
Well, don't stop believing. You have no idea what I'm talking about, do you? Yeah. The Apostle Paul. Oh, the Apostle Paul would later attempt to define the vastness of the love of God because he knew we would doubt the power of that love. The evidence of our failures and hurts and accusations of our enemy caused Paul to attempt to nail it down so it wouldn't wiggle, that he even made it a matter of prayer. This was one of Paul's prayers. Listen to this, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye being rooted and grounded in love. You better get a hold of this love thing. That you may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and the length, the depth and the height and the know the love of Christ which surpasseth knowledge that you might be filled with all the fullness of God now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh within us. Do we fully understand how much God loves us? No matter how far you've fallen, no matter how dark the night may be in your life right now, no matter the sickness that may be ravaging your body, no matter the lonely, painful trials that you've been through, he loves you. He loves you enough to forgive you. He loves you enough to heal you. He loves you enough to deliver you. He loves you enough to set you free. He loves you enough to answer your prayer. He loves you enough to heal your broken heart and spirit. He loves you. It's a love you cannot erase. It's a love you cannot escape. It's a love you cannot run away from. It's an ever-present, ever-reaching, ever-following-after-you type of love because God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Amen. He loves you. He loves you, mama. He loves you, daddy. He loves your backslidden children. He loves your wayward husband. He loves you. He he loves you to heal you. He loves you to put your marriage back together. He loves you. He loves you. Oh, how he loves you and me. The psalmist said it better than anybody else. We sang about it today. Stand with me if you will. Surely, goodness and mercy. Could I put it this way? Surely, the love of God shall follow me all the days of my life. His love is enough. We are living in such a broken, fragmented world right now. Never before have we seen people so desperately in need of help than we are right now. Broken, Brother Kilman, hurting, don't know where to turn, have no idea how in the world to get through another day. They're just existing. They don't understand that the love of God, 
surpasses all knowledge, that it's so deep and so high and so long and so wide that it doesn't matter what you've been involved in. It doesn't matter what may be happening in your life. It doesn't even matter what the doctor's report may be. It doesn't matter how far your children may have walked away from God. He loves you. He loves them. He loves you. And this morning he wants to heal. And this morning he wants to deliver. And this morning he wants to save because he loves us. And he's reaching to put us back together to make us whole. I don't care how far you've fallen. I don't care how hurt you've been. I don't care how crushed you feel. His love is amazing. And his love is reaching. Could you throw your hands up in the air right now? He loves you too much for you to be broken, hurting, fractured at the end of your rope. He loves you.